Welcome to Generation Travel Radio, where we share the stories of people from a diverse range of generations and backgrounds whose lives have been enriched academically, professionally, and personally by international experiences. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Generation Travel Radio. I'm so excited to have everybody back listening to another episode of our podcast and with another guest. We have Sane here today, and we are going to just jump right into all the great questions we have for her. And of course, start with our classic question that we're asking all of our guests. So Sane, welcome to the show. I'd love to hear all about your international experiences and background. But first and foremost, I would love to hear a bit more about your personal mission. So if you could dive into that for us, I would love to hear it. Thank you so much, firstly, to Kelly and Erin. My personal mission is, in a higher level, I'd say I want to make the world a better place. And how to do that is by creating and bringing good vibes for the people and the world and to make everybody to be happy and to the world to be happy. And to make that, and I'm going from the higher level to the, the breakdown level. In a personal level, I try to be true to myself. And that's the way how I can enjoy and live in the moment and stay strong in my own faith. And in a social level, I really want to share what I learned so that this can bring values forward. To live a meaningful life is the way to make the world a better place, in my view. One day I wish to say, if I am asked, like, who are you? Then I'd like to answer, like, I am who I am. Regardless of any circumstances or backgrounds, like such as jobs or the family situation and such, I would like to be a whore as my own. And that if this whore person can bring values for the world, that's going to be the way how I make my mission come true. Maybe we can start early on. So you're from Mm -hmm. South Korea. And tell us a little bit about the making of that. Tell us about your international experiences, kind of broad scope, and then we'll go deeper. I am from South Korea, just seeing all the spans of my time. Two thirds of my life was in Korea. And now like from my 20s on, one third of my life-ish is in Europe. And those four changes, I'd say it was the big cultural change between because Korea is like one of the Asian countries. And now I'm living in Germany, Hamburg, Germany, and it is a European or Western culture base. There are two big scales, I'd say. I mean, I read a book called The, um, the Geography of Thoughts. In that book, I read it during my school time and teenage time. There are big two way of thinking, like, and it's geographically divided into the Western world and some Asian countries and like mostly Far East Asian countries, Japan, China, Korea. And in my native culture, it's about collectiv- uh, collectivism, which means we think a person in a pressure of a group. And even like, you know, like language really reflects the culture. And when it comes to, we dis- in, in Korean, Korean language, when you describe like, something my own like my family or my friend or my um, job instead of saying a direct translation from my we use our which means like already the idea of her thoughts it's like naturally we are counting us as a part of group and i had that culture and that 
background for my own 20, over 20 years. And then when I came to here, the first impression was, yeah, everybody does what they want to do because they care less about how they are seen. Rather, each and every person, the core is himself or herself. So it's individualistic. And here, I'm not saying it's about something is better or worse. It's just two different way of thinking and way of cultures. I believe each and every person has the right fits, what they, what this person feels more comfortable. And what I figured out after living here in, uh, in Germany and like there in Korea, I can be better performing myself in the individualistic culture. And that's how I transform myself from my home country to here and kind of having my settlement for now here. That's so interesting. I recently read this book called The Culture Map. It's about, I'm probably going to reference it so much throughout us doing these episodes, but it's uh, by Erin Meyer and she's looking at how business is conducted across the world and how mm-hmm. different cultures kind of vary on these scales. And she starts with communication as one of these critical points and talks about how in general, a lot of this is influenced by language. I think I've heard about this before, where in Korean, the, there's the different use of the uh, possessive pronouns. So mm-hmm. thank you for kind of doing that deeper dive, because that was just so interesting and great to see kind of how you have analyzed and reflected on that cultural influence and how you work as a as a person in one or the other. And now I I want to ask you, well, going to Germany was not your first international experience, but it was kind of one of the longer ones. So what was the transition like? Remind me, you did this either, you went for a semester or a year either in the yeah, high school right. equivalent or, or so. Um, so what was that transition like? And also, why did you want to go spend time in Germany specifically? I mean, I have traveled around Asia until my teenage time with my family. But the first time ever I came out of Asia was my first time when I wanted to take the German classes, German language classes in Germany. And that was the first time ever getting out of Asia. The reason why I chose Germany was that I... As I said, I read this book, The Geography of Thoughts, and that was really like big trigger trigger for my curiosity as well as like all my interest. Like, yeah, what's what what is that? The other side of the world, the Western world, so to say. Honestly speaking, US was not really the place I want to be because maybe there was like just like a just a feeling of against from my like young time because of the name America was like too beautified by Korean culture. And I didn't want to pursue that. So among the European countries where to go was, I was still like, let's say I am still as well, a little bit reserved. Of course, like uncertainty brings really big fears to everybody. And I also get like afraid of like when things are uncertain. And going to Europe is for me, like something really new, unknown. But still, I had to figure out then what, what is the balance. So among the whole European countries, Germany was the country that I could see myself in a balance, in a stability. So that's why I chose Germany. And at the beginning, everything about Germany was just like out of excitement that like I'm in the new world. 
I didn't see anything bad. Like everything was beautiful. Everybody is amazing. Everybody is so better than Korea and the society is better than Korea. I was blind that only seeing the good sides of Germany and including the or Europe because I traveled around Europe while staying in Germany. That was the first beginning, but like by time, like now it's been about over eight years that I have lived in Europe. And now I have got some, let's say the insights or the perspectives that now I see like what could be better in this society or what could be better in my own Korean, Korean culture. So there are like both countries has like the good side and the bad side. And that's what I learned about. Yeah, nothing can be perfect and nothing is like sorely better or sorely worse than something else. It's just about among those differences, finding what's best fit for oneself is the way to pursue the happy life, I think. Now, I know that you're mentioning, you know, something's not necessarily better, but it's different. And that is, you know, a really great point. And I was thinking, oh, I wonder what she thinks could be improved in Germany versus in Korea or vice versa. And I know that you also had previously mentioned to us that you thought that Korea um, in comparison to Germany or actually Munich in general was more free and liberal compared mm-hmm. to Korea. So I'd love to hear, you know, a little bit more on that. Why would you describe it that as that yeah. way? And then also, is there anything else specific you think could be improved or changed based on your mm-hmm. kind of juxtaposing experience or juxtaposed experiences okay. in the two countries? Just if I may generalize, this is all about this, because there are always people who's like not in these major ideas. But if I may generalize, I'd say... People in Korea tend to live for the future and fulfill the expectations from the society that you belong to. So it's about like the standard norm is there, like according to your ages or according to your um, social status or according to your job or where are you in your family? Like if you are the first child or you're the youngest of, of the family. So it's all about you are seen in the part of group And in this group, you have your role. You are supposed to deliver that role as expected. So what I've seen or experienced in Germany or Europe is that people more more tend to live with the bigger rooms to be individual. So not as a part of your own group that you belong to, but rather like you yourself is a person or a society, himself or herself. Having this to comp- the, the comparison between, I can say like how I was in Korea, like the goal of my teenage time given by the society was that entering a good university, that was like the only goal. Though I admit that like through all those times that I got through, I am here right now and I am happy by that. But still thinking back, that's the only success matter of my teenage time. And that's what I was told by the school, told by my family, and I fulfilled it well. And the, a child would be seen as good or not, but if they do it well as they're expected, that's how things are seen in Korea. And I studied really hard and made good grades and that made my family happy. And getting these compliments from everybody, that was the, let's say, purpose of my teenage time. Later stage of my time, I figured out, okay, teenage time, I lived for the good university. But university time, 
all students are like, the only aim is like getting on a good job. And what's really weird is like, after getting on the good job, the society is like telling you that you, you are supposed to marry to good person. And then after marriage, it's about like, yeah, you need to have children. And then the, it's an, another loop. Then the children should study hard to get a good university. And then <laughs> the loop is never ending. And it's like never living in the moment, but like living for the future. And this future is defined by the society. And you are part of this society, part of this group. And when I said like, yeah, the first impression or the air of Munich, what I felt was so free and liberal because I, after my German language class, I had free time and I went to the big park and there were people just singing or playing guitar, chilling. My question was like, what they can achieve by that, you know? <laughs> it was totally the idea of like what, how I grew up in Korea. But later on, I could recognize it's not to achieve something, but it's just like they already are achieving their happy moment. And that really caught my thoughts and eyes and life values that I want to live like that. Was it challenging for you to transition to that kind of liberal mindset where you, I, I, if I understand it correctly, almost have the autonomy and authority to then make up what your goals are or what you want to achieve instead of being told by society, like, this is the next step? And, and how was that transition for you? There was no real, real struggle to change from my like, original background to the new challenges because that was the excitement about the new. And the thing is, this society in, in Korea, if I don't have like this background, it's hard to start from nothing. But here, I felt like it was even an advantage that like, I'm not from here and people consider me like I need some support. And there were people or the schools that if I ask for something and also asking for help, asking for something in Korea, it really needs like more courages and like more efforts and this willingness to do that. But here, bringing questions and asking for help, you are free to do that. Like, it's really up to you. But in Korea, if some people or a person does that, it could be seen as like you are weak and you are, you are not winning something. So it's all about like how you are judged by the group. But in European culture, I, what I felt was so comfortable. I am not anymore defined by what I have. I can be who I am. And of course, like starting from like having nobody here was not really the best, like having nothing, but still I felt the whole atmosphere is giving me the chances. That's what I felt like. I felt like I was welcome. And that gave me the, let's say, power to go through and like energy to go through. And I think also the good thing is in Korea, like about when it comes to nature, I have only things that I can really recommend and like love about. But when it comes to Europe, like the summer is amazing, but winter can be really, really harsh for people. And good thing about my first time ever coming to Europe, it was in the summer and I got all those beautiful time and good energies. And it was literally good vibes only. And that was already good motivation. And I got like first good, good judge about this side of the world that I can do what I want to. And what was good about that is like, even though I, I'm not speaking German as my mother tongue, just by trying to learn this language, 
I could see there are chances that I can even pursue my career here. And I saw other international students that, yeah, they're just trying it and they're really getting the, getting on a job and they say they are happy. And that was also really one of the biggest reasons why I chose to be here, regardless of some struggles to um, adjust myself for a new culture. I could say I am happy. And that's a, a really a big difference. Even when still in these days, when I talk to my friends in Korea, I can like confidently say I'm happy. And my friends say like, I'm so jealous. I envy you because they are not really confidently saying that they are happy. It's also part of like difference that yeah, what society is really like valuing the best is not the happiness in Korea, but it's rather like the success. And success is defined by the society, not yourself. I think that in the U.S. Mm -hmm. we also have a live for the future kind of culture. Um, mm -hmm. I think that people are trying to change that, but I also get yeah. the sense that our the way things are structured, we don't really allow for that. And I'm mm -hmm. wondering what you think. My theory is that it's because in Germany you have more safety nets. Your health care is covered. I don't know. What do, what do you think about that? Korean healthcare system is amazing. People don't have to worry know. about anything when it comes to it. Yeah. <laughs> but I'd say the all those future. They didn't get that from the US. Like, Sorry. <laughs> they yeah. didn't get that from us. <laughs> but the difference about why Korean culture or society is so upset with like future oriented or like future pursuing moment is that the whole history is after Korean War. South Korea was one of the poorest countries in the world. And now it's one of the top 10 economically developed countries in the world. And it, it had, the older transition has happened like in about 50 years, which is like really, really short time. And that same development has happened in Western cultures, maybe like over hundred years at least. So, there were the time that the whole mentality of people can follow this numerical or statistical development. But in Korea, that was missing. The only thing really pursued and valued was the speed that we need to reach to certain level of economy and certain level of life standard. And all those standards were defined by the Western cultures, developed cultures, so to say. I don't really believe this is the right standard. Like, and it's also about not only Korea in these days, or it's all developing countries in the world, like African countries or Southeast Asian countries. They are saying, yeah, I also don't like this definition, developed countries. Yeah, they have money, yes. And does it really mean that they are developed? Like, there are some questions on that, in my opinion. Great question, but, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what is developed countries? I don't know. Mm -hmm. But anyways, back to the topic, after the Korean War, all those fast developments made Korean people think like, okay, we cannot leave this moment. We are now not okay. We are poor. We need to get over this. So naturally, we had to think about the flourishing future that we can pursue or we need to like grab as fast as possible. So I think that's the reason why it's kind of got settled in that culture that yeah, we need to pursue the future. And anyways, this Korean culture, regardless of all those, all those historical dictatorships and the lack of democracy, the development was achieved. 
and then it's still quite valued well by let's say bit right parties politically and like the people's mindset that yeah we should keep pursuing like that that's the answer to keep our status in the world as it is that's how i see korea in that sense that was such an awesome historical contextual overview yeah and it made me think too you know it's not thinking of the future is always a bad thing mm-hmm. because you don't want to inflict upon yourself or and other people a world that oh, we don't want to live in so it's almost like yeah you you do want to in some ways go okay well i hope mm-hmm. that there's less pollution or something oh, along yeah. those lines. <laughs> okay, so I got to ask though, Sane, there's a, you know, a little rivalry between Munich and Hamburg. And uh, so so any any uh, thoughts on uh, now that you've lived in both cities? <laughs> yeah, right. Well, there are, I, I know, like, like, it's sort of like historically, like the north and south, like there are like, they're competing each other and they're bullying each other and like criticizing each other. They're saying, generally, uh, since I'm living here in Northern Germany, I'm hearing more, yeah, Northern side of Germany, like they are more open-minded and generous for the new cultures. And the Southern Germany, they're more conservative and they're obsessed on their own. But to be fair, what I am experiencing in this 21st century as a part of millennials, I have friends here in Hamburg as well as like down there in Munich. And they're not much obsessed like the older, like the previous generation. Yeah, just like stick to their own. Whether like big cities, I think it doesn't matter if it's in South or if it's in North. People are ready to adjust themselves if there is something better and also pursuing something better if they see that's better. And that may may be a part of also like globalization that like it doesn't matter where you are actually i have lived in different cities in asia like hong kong and like seoul and in europe i have lived in copenhagen and germany and i don't see much differences among the people who have traveled a lot and also like see the world open-minded views they are ready to observe based on their value. It's not about like, yeah, how historically or conventionally people are thinking. It's rather like, yeah, I want to make my world or my life like that. And doesn't matter where you are. What matters more is the people, I think, who you meet in the city. Even if you are living in the most conservative city, if you are surrounded by like more liberal people with the more open-minded people, then you're, you may see that city as like the most open-minded city ever. But vice versa, if, even if you are living in the most open-minded city ever, if you are surrounded by conservative people, that's the world you are living in. So that's how I see the world now. Excellent answer. So then moving to two other cities that are in Germany, mm-hmm. you referred to, and I got to make sure I get these right, you referred to Dusseldorf as the Japanese mm-hmm. town of Germany and Frankfurt mm-hmm. as the Korean town of Germany, yeah. which I had never heard uh, any mm-hmm. descriptors like that before. Mm-hmm. So really curious to hear about some of your experiences with those cities and where you've kind of come up with these concepts of them uh, having these elements from other cultures as well. Mm-hmm. That's totally economic, economic views. And the names why I made, I, I called Dusseldorf as Japanese town of Germany and the Frankfurt as Korean town of Germany is really reasoned by economy and comp- 
companies with its European key functions in these two cities. So there are big international airports, both in Düsseldorf and Frankfurt. And based on this connection, like well connected to the other world, um, there are direct, among them, there are direct flights to Korea from Frankfurt a lot, um, maybe four or five times a day. And in Düsseldorf, there are also like direct flights to Tok Tokyo and some other Japanese cities, as far as I know. And by having this good connection, of course, then the big corporations, big multinational corporations from Korea or Japan, they chose to be there for their European head functions. And many expats sent from HQ, like headquarters, are based in those two cities. And Korean, based, based on that, of course, then the whole family is moving to there for certain times and Koreans or Japanese communities and the, like even some miscellaneous things like grocery stores, like the Korean supermarket or Japanese supermarket or restaurants, the really like having authentic taste or those kind of the communities are built, naturally built based on those two cities. And by that also like people, like Korean people or Japanese people living in those two cities feel can easily feel comfortable and connected and convenient with their lives as Koreans or as Japanese. And, and I can refer that like my first job was at LG Group, which is a Korean corporation based, it, this company is now based in Frankfurt. And definitely I could see that like, it is good for the business to have um, their European head function in Frankfurt because their business can be connected well with the uh, headquarter as well as like having the good economic key function for European market. And also on top of that, they can have like good networkings with other Korean corporations. And in this case, this sort of can be the same for the whole Japanese company companies there. But however, the thing is, I felt more affections to Hamburg and I have like amazing, inspiring friends that living in Hamburg. And that's like, it's my opportunity cost that I left Frankfurt like all those convenience that I might be able, I, I may be able to get by living there. Yeah, I definitely find that a really interesting, and the the idea that even though you could have all the comforts of home, one might mm -hmm. say, you know, in either of those cities, if you're Japanese, obviously, um, but for you as a Korean, you know, being able to live in in Frankfurt, that would be a great option, but you had a community already. And we talk a lot about mm -hmm. how important community is on this mm -hmm. podcast in general, mm -hmm. being able to build a community wherever you are is super important to making that feel like your home. So I'm curious, I know that you have also, like all of us had an interesting experience due to COVID living outside of your home mm -hmm. country, and then even leaving Germany during that and going to Copenhagen, mm -hmm. Denmark. So how did that experience kind of make your perception of that country maybe change it or just uh, in general shape what your perception of it was? And then could you explain a bit about why you ended up, you kind of already mentioned it, deciding to go back to Germany? Actually, when it comes to COVID, I know that the things happened mostly similar around the world. People were, people were afraid of basic supply, like lacking of basic supplies and then in the end, they were like, went to the supermarket and stacking all those basic supplies in their home, like toilet paper, yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> I, 
I decided to move to Denmark um, because I had really the, I had never been there before just for the one short business trip except that and I just had a positive prejudice or stereotypes about this country it's known as one of the happiest countries in the world everything seems just like nice and I had only heard about good things but however the image on this country in me was totally screwed up by covid time because i it was the first one of the first scenarios that i really faced in copenhagen was that people really got panicked and went to the supermarket and really like there was like empty shelf that i've seen never seen in my whole life and that was like another learning from that time that like okay if it's the survivor is questioned in the society it doesn't matter if the society is like healthy and developed or if it's like less developed than some some other society no other things can really overrule the people who are afraid of their survival looking back i learned from this time what's important in my life is the people because i have great people like my friends here in germany who cares about me and i care about them but then like there was nobody who could care about my mentor her and or my like to be company with me at least i was totally solely alone as if i'm alone in an island and that was the moment that i felt like okay this is like known as happy country but this is not happy country for me then it's not anymore a happy country and also by living in copenhagen i also learned like some fun facts Have you heard of um the love jante? Love jante, jante? I have not. No. Love jante is about something that like spread around the Scandinavian countries and it's about how the foundation stone of this culture. And I can give you an example. One of the rules that stated for this law is that you're not to think you're anything special. you are not to think you are smarter than us so it's all about you are on average you are not superior or inferior to something and that's why all those scandinavian countries have like really strong middle class what i learned by like getting to know these rules and understanding because this didn't didn't sound like so exciting to me it was really sounding like it's killing the creativity or people valuing the success that's really missing in these rules and i figured out the way how they can be really happy and this word happy for those countries in scandinavia it's rather like satisfaction so people there are really satisfied how they are or where they are or the whole system they are living in and of course like yeah being satisfied is also a key of being happy but it's really different concept of happy than what i personally see as happy and this happiness i'd say it's more about my korean backgrounds behind earning something everything that i have done in korea for my old teenage time was winning something and you should you you'd better be superior to somebody else but in denmark obviously it's not what the children are taught they are taught like yeah to be part of us like us means like the average also like all those the reasons why those countries are seen as happy it's basically statistics and all those like happiness uh, uh measures it's about like, gdp per capita 
health life expectancy and social support, freedom of choice. And those are becoming the stats, the numbers. And that's making the who, which country is the happiest in the world. And Scandinavian countries, I know like yeah, having good system, of course, makes people happy, but it's not like every individual can be happy. It's about more. Yeah, you are on the average and you have everything to be happy, but that, that helps. But still, there are also big problems with depressions and suicide, suicide rates in those countries. And I could see like in the end, happiness is not about how to be measured by numbers. It's about the people, how a person feels like about herself or himself and find their own values or meaningfulness of their own life. And that's what I learned a lot from my time in Copenhagen because I got time to think about myself. And by that I could decide, I could really see myself what's the most important thing in my life is my people, my family, my friends, my colleagues, and the people that I really love. And I found they are not in Copenhagen, but they are in Germany. And that's why I decided to come back to Germany. I have so many thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. Well, it's interesting because a few, several years ago, when I was still in college, I remember thinking, you know, in the United States, we have everyone has the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And whereas in Germany, I think it's, it's not exactly these things, but it's kind of like life freedom and property or something. <laughs> and I just, I remember thinking like, that's really interesting. And I think that in the United States, we have a bit of this problem where this idea of you have the right to pursue happiness kind of blends into what you were saying about how in Korea, it's like you have the, you are pursuing uh, happiness and it means that you're going to be superior to someone. Like you have to beat someone essentially. Mm-hmm. So when you were talking about this concept in Scandinavia, I thought, oh, that makes sense. You know, if, if we say, look, like we want to make sure that you have what you need to be satisfied, but like as a, as a system, we're not going to deliver what you need to be like feeling happy because that's something that you need to figure out for yourself because it's up to the individual. (laughs) And I can see how that really kind of blends into then how we view and value and then build support structures or lack thereof around our people. That was super, super interesting. And I want to look more into that as well. And I like what you say too. Happiness isn't about the numbers at the end of the day. There's no way that we can really measure that. Mm -hmm. And I've always wondered too, I, you know, Finland has like such a high suicide rate and because it's so dark and I thought, well, surely, you know, Sweden and Norway and parts of Russia are like on that mm-hmm. same, you know, latitude. So I wouldn't be surprised if that's also an issue in those countries, yet they're, they are marked as so happy. So they, so bringing up those, that what the data is, I think really is a good perspective on what that actually means. So thanks for addressing that. Because I think that that's like giving me answers. But definitely what I can tell is like, if I were from there, I cannot see this in my perspective. Or if I were only living in Korea, I cannot see this with my Korean perspective. So that's why I value like, yeah, experiencing different views and global views. That's really helping you to understand better the others and also embrace the differences. 
And I think that goes to kind of why we even have this podcast in the first place. Mm -hmm. We want to encourage people to go out and have these experiences because you can read about it. And there's so many great resources. We've already named Mm -hmm. many of them today that I'm going to read up on. And you can watch things now and things are right at your fingertips virtually too, which is great during COVID times, especially, but ultimately being able to go out and explore and experience it for yourself and just people watch. Like that's one of my favorite things to do when you go somewhere to try to understand why some of the things are the way they are, or then, yeah, for yourself to experience actually living somewhere and recognize, okay, yeah, I had this positive stereotype or perception before going, but that doesn't mean it's necessarily going to apply to me. You know, it doesn't apply to everyone there either. I think that really is indicative of probably the whole world. I mean, some people love how the American system is set up, even though I might not be the biggest fan of the capitalistic society that we have, but everyone's views are different. We live in a a vast world of different opinions. So it's good to hear that even though those numbers, you know, are out there and they're consistently Denmark has the best schooling and those kids can be left in their little prams, strollers outside the supermarkets. Like these are the images I have of Scandinavian countries and Denmark and these you know, the GDP with the happiness being the highest. And so to understand that that is really based on those numbers and kind of contextualize it or pull those two concepts apart from each other, I think is really uh, smart to do and to get your personal take on that and the law behind it. It was the law. Could you repeat that? The law of Janti. For sure. Well, one thing that you also mentioned, Sane, was about how you felt like that concept stifles maybe creativity as well. And that seems to be very important for you as being able to expand on your creative pursuits. So I would love for you to share with us and with your audience a little bit about what you are calling your scratch ideas and, and tell us, you know, about one of, one of your most prominent ones. And it would be really interesting to know how some of your global experiences have added to that or shaped it in any way. As I said, like my mission, like my life mission is to make the world a better place. And this could be like professional way or private way. I believe the current generation, like our generation and the previous generations who's like holding the keys for the economy right now, those generations are responsible for the making better place for the next generations. Therefore, I wish to create and distribute the ethical digital literacy. That's what I would say in a like short word. And how this happened to me. And it, it's not really have been long time that I had I got this idea. Like though I had like all the time the ideas that I want to um, contribute myself for some some way, like not as a teacher, but like in a way, like there are various ways to contribute myself for the education. But I didn't know how to or what to. But since last year, I got this idea and like I want to like make it bloom at some point. And as I lived in the different cultures and learned how broad and various options that we have to become happy. And this broad view to the world really made me to pursue to make a world a better place for now and for the later. And for that, one of my scratch ideas is in education for the digital native generations, which is as known as the Generation Z now. And concerning how their data, like personal or private data, are de- delivered to the big companies. 
and how they are used for their corporational profit. Because our generation is responsible to make their uses for their like digital tools in a wise way, because we made this world, we um, created this world. And those next generations, they're creepily. It's when I really recognize this, like I, I couldn't say anything, but it's really creepy that these generations are, are online from their day one. When they got just born, their pictures are delivered to the whole around the world by their parents. So with, without really willing to, those babies are online from their day one and their whole life is online. But what's really, I feel like a pity is that they are online, but they don't know why they are online. They don't have the reasons to be online. They are just online naturally and natively. Apart from that, like it's just like a habit of this generation that they're just like having their self. It's not only their generation, our generation as well, or everybody in these days. We are starting our day with our cell phone and going to bed with our cell phone. But good thing about like the grown-ups, we are able to find the sources, what we are doing and what does that mean for the whole society or the some for some economy or some companies? If we are interested, we are we have the sources to find that. But the younger generation do their own social media. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know like what impact they're bringing to the whole economy. But they're doing that. But in education, there is no certain subject that is dealing about that or explaining what's happening. But the students are learning about mathematics, English, or second foreign language, or any other subjects to fulfill their life with, let's say, the basic right about the knowing. And now in this genera- like generation and in this era of 21st century with the whole digitalization, this should be a subject, I believe, because that generation, it's not an option anymore. It's just part of life. And if it's part of life, the ethics about that, what's right or what's wrong or what could be better should be the generation who's going to be leading group of the economy in the future. And that's the way how to make a world a happy place. That's what I want to do as my mission. I think important thing to know, I was having this conversation the other day with some family members about, yeah, why we could learn more about in American schooling because we don't mm-hmm. spend much time on that sort of stuff or health and it's very politicized as well in general, especially with the technology mm-hmm. coming, a lot of those social fights and things coming from the U.S. I wonder how that would be taken here. Would it be you know, welcomed or would we have pushback in areas? Definitely a yeah. really cool mission mm-hmm. for you to have. That was the point I could see that like this is something missing in the education. It doesn't mean that those new generations are dumb or stupid and not caring about what's happening. They also want to care, but simply I see, I could see like, yeah, it's lack of information. They are not informed enough as they want to be. So this should be filled by our generation. That's what I see. Totally. And I'm curious too, kind of hearing from your experiences, especially now, we're kind of all stuck on our phone and stuck inside, and that is an easy option. But when we could get out and travel, I'd love to hear on another note, all of your exploration that you've done from moving around to then actually getting to travel Europe and Asia. What are two of the best travel experiences? That's something you would want to relive again, or you're excited to get back to having experiences like that again in the future? 
for me, Trevor's start from picturing to get out of my normal days. It for something different from where I am. And at the same time, traveling really brings the broadened perspectives and really refreshing energy back to my normal days. And this is why I love about love traveling. And I can tell like I traveled really a lot for especially for my business trips, because I used to be a salesperson covering the Asia from Japan to India, literally. I've been almost all countries between those big scope. <laughs> and also I've been to this and the, here and there for my holidays as well. Through all those travels, again, what I found really important is the people whom I'm with for that travel. If there is the best place that people describe that, yeah, you should go there, it's the best place. But if you go there with somebody not really the good company for you, this travel can be remembered as the worst for you and the vice versa. Even if that place is really rated as the worst for the travel, if you go there with the right person to be with, it could be like amazing adventurous memory for your whole life. That's what I see. Based on all those, like my concept of uh, travels, my best travel I can pick is my travel to Tioman Island in Malaysia. And I went there with my best friend, Morgan. She is the one I met from my university time. And she was the exchange student from Minnesota to uh, Korea. And we became just good friends by cheering of each other. And regardless of the hard time or good time, we went to this Tioman Island in Malaysia. And she convinced me to try scuba diving. And I can say I'm really a coward and I can't swim well. So I was really afraid, but she just convinced me enough that saying, come on, like we went all over the, the sea, like down, down here and like the ocean is calling us. Uh, she convinced me enough and I did that. And while scuba diving, I was just right next to the horror fish like Nemo and the corals, which made me feel, yeah, this is not anymore the world in this globe. It's like something totally different, surreal. And that experience was already like showing me something that I even could not imagine before can happen during the travel, like adventurous travel. So this is the very best travel ever. Sane, thank you so much for sharing everything that you have today. But I want to ask you our final question, which is how would you describe yourself to our audience? The word global is actually just, just the foundation for current me which lies so basic and natural for me. So I wouldn't specify or saying like I pursue that. Rather, it's just a solid foundation. And I don't want to use that for describing myself. It's just a foundation. And on top of that, I would describe myself. I'm a person learning and grateful and energetic. And those three words of how I am happy and how I can be happy. And on the next level, what I wish to be is caring and loving and meaningful. And I want to be somebody that bringing values for other people. And that's also another way to make the world a better place. Yeah, this is how I describe myself. It's quite long, but I think... I'm not a simple person for that. <laughs> you know, I don't know if anyone is. <laughs> yeah. And with all your experiences, I mean, I think we have a lot of people that try to sum themselves up. And 
you gave us a personal mission, which is kind of a good way, but then to kind of describe on top of that, but who am I? Who do I want to be? That mm-hmm. is our aim here. And I think our audience will probably have understood a lot of that through listening to you today and hearing about your intriguing life and where you come from and internationally your experiences. So thank you so much for joining us on Generation Travel Radio. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Please give us a like or a rating on your favorite podcast platform. You can also join the conversation on our website listed on our anchor page or in the show notes. We hope that the stories you heard today have inspired you and helped you to think about what intercultural experiences you'll seek next. We are Generation Travel Radio. Keep thinking globally. Thank you.